0: Welcome again to the Hugenhoff Podcast, Episode 6, where we will discuss Odin. Remember, if you need any more information about Also True or the Hugenhoff Podcast, feel free to visit our website at www.hugenhoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F. Also, if you have ideas for the shows or any questions, please send an email to podcast at gmail.com. Today I will have co-host Lore and Lauren to help me discuss Odin a little bit. Okay, so this is kind of a big topic, and um, it will get we'll get rather deep into it. But before we start that, I'm going to ask everybody f- just for some preliminary thoughts about Odin. Um, Lauren, do you have anything you want to start with? no (laughs) okay
1: um lore did you have anything you wanted to start with um i'm not sure if there was anything necessary you have it pretty well laid out here and uh my own feelings are just that he is a guiding tool for people to start in to wanting to be also true or at least look into the norse mythos
0: okay yeah that that is good um a lot of people, when they first get into Asatru, are interested in or have some sort of experiences with Odin, which, if you really think about it, it kind of makes sense, because he is supposed to be a god of knowledge, a god of language, a god of communication, so obviously he'd be the first one that they that people would really communicate with, I guess. So... um I think that's good to say just overall before we break each of these down a little further he's a god of knowledge he's a god of wisdom he's a god of information he's a god of the runes he's a god of of death um he's a god of language all of those things are going to be wrapped up in odin um odin goes by many names uh since he's a a god of knowledge and a god of naming things. He he has a lot of names, and there's a section of the Hávamál, I believe it is, where he lists all his names, and it's just like this ridiculously long list of all the names that he goes by: um, Odin, Wotan, Woden, Lune, Rune, Rune Father. Raven Lord. I mean, the list goes on. Now, something I didn't specifically mention to discuss in here, so I'm going to do it now, is he does have two crows, Hugin and Moonen. And Hugin is, of course, uh, where we get the word Hugin for Hugenhoff Podcast. And that crow is supposed to be a symbol of thought. The name, I believe, actually means thought, which is why we use it for our kindred, because we want to actually study the lore and study the religion and understand it further. And the other one is Munin, which is uh, equally important, and and um, that means memory. So it's thought and memory. And his crows he sends out every day to gather information from the world. So they fly around the world gathering all the information... Um, just everything that's going on down there and then of course they whisper it in the ear of Odin at the end of the day so again that stresses the idea that he's a god of knowledge and understanding just and to a nitpick go ahead
1: are they crows or are they ravens well I, you guess crow? I, I, I guess and I believe raven is appropriate and crow is different
2: yeah
0: Um. well then we can stick with ravens uh, if crows and ravens are really different, I they suppose
1: are. crows are much smaller. Ravens are bigger and smarter.
0: Okay, well we can stick with ravens, but they're very similar birds. I mean, the the most important thing and the reason that that they <laughs> are ravens, like I, they are technically ravens. You're right. What's important about it being a raven, especially, is first of all they're very smart which obviously goes with Odin, but also there's something that after a great battle you would see ravens gather on the battlefield mm-hmm. um, and eat the dead. So th- that's the, s- the symbolism behind them, the fact that they're intelligent and they eat the dead. I think here in America we have more crows than we have ravens. Um, yeah. So it's also partially you know where you are in the world but but you are correct it, it is technically ravens um, and not crows it's just that they're rather similar so I don't think a crow is completely inappropriate because a crow would also eat the dead and crows are actually also very intelligent um, even something like a rook might fit in but mm. we don't have rooks here I, I know they're in Ireland so you know it's kind of like you know where are you ge- geographically? Um, right. But yeah, ravens is the actual bird. Okay. So yes, yes, you're, and thank you for pointing that out. Um, and he also has two wolves, Frecky and Grecky, and and I think that again symbolizes his battle element because he's also a god of war, and wolves would also be seen on the battleground. Um, besides the fact that they're carnivorous animal, which would eat, you know dead things and living things they would also feed off the dead of the battleground. I mean a lot of animals would
1: back in the old days. Do you remember what the names mean? Um Because I'm trying to think myself and for some reason I think some. it seems it's something to eat or something like that. Freaky. One of them is Greed. Greed? Gary and Frecky. Uh, uh, ravenous or Greedy One That's what I'm seeing. Both mean they both mean ravenous or greedy one. Okay, okay sorry. Yeah, um, Want to throw that out there since we named the ravens. Okay, yeah. Oh yeah,
0: here it is. Both meaning the ravenous or greedy one. So, mm-hmm. I, and I think that that again is saying you know the aftermath of battle. There's going to be a lot of of death and and wolves would eat them. It also kind of shows like maybe a darker side. Of Odin, not saying he's ravenous and greedy, but he understands what ravenous and greedy mean. And Odin actually only drink, drinks mead, and he throws the uh, he throws the meat that he gets at feasts to the two wolves. And I'm sure there's some symbolism behind that, where you know you could say something like it's I don't know exactly what you'd say. It's him taming his more physical side, or something. I'm not going to get into that bit of symbolism today because I haven't fully understood it, so I don't or I don't think I fully understood it, so I don't want to get too deep into that. But before we go on, did anyone have something to add about anything we just mentioned?
1: Nope, I believe you mm-hmm. pretty succinct.
0: <laughs> okay, well, let's jump right into um language. Okay, when I say language there 's a podcast about the runes, who maybe the third or fourth i don 't remember it 's on the webpage um, where I talked about how the runes were originally the Norse form of uh, language it 's how they would actually write things their letters um, Now, I think I mentioned the story of the runes is Odin hung himself on the world tree for nine days and nine nights. And on the ninth night he he or the ninth day he he reached into the well, and this is after he had already sacrificed his eye and he pulled out the runes and then gave them to people, so that's sort of the act of Odin creating language and I think one thing really important to mention about this is when he goes up to this well, he goes to the uh Memur, the the guy who guards the well, so to speak, and he's like. He knows that this well, it's filled with uh, mead that gives you wisdom. And and he wants a drink of this mead so he will be more wise. And the guy is like, well, what are you going to give me for it? It takes a sacrifice. And he's like, whatever you want. And he's like, well, I want your eye. So he just like rips out his eye and throws it in the well. Without hesitation or anything like that. And I think that sort of shows the dedication of how much Odin wants... Understanding and wants wisdom and wants to understand things. And then from that, he pulled out the runes, which are letters, which is how we compose words. So he pulled out of the well a type of, a very specific type of understanding, the linguistic type of understanding. Um, before I go deeper, did anybody want to mention something on just the runes and the sacrifice Odin made for them?
1: the fact that he did it without hesitation is like the main point to me is just that knowledge was the most important thing there is and so he would be willing to sacrifice just about anything he sacrificed a piece of himself that was very important because eyes uh, now and then are very important
0: yeah I think absolutely I mean the eyes are the way that you see the world and to give up one of your eyes is just um that, w- that would be a huge sacrifice. And, I mean, you can imagine he pulled the eye from his own head. That that would involve a lot of pain. So, yeah, hmm. it's a huge sacrifice. And I think there's something interesting in there, too, that... So... And this is not to downplay the sacrifice, because I think the sacrifice was, was really the most important thing, just how he was willing to sacrifice. But this well is where the runes came from, or where language came from. And he threw his eye into that well. So in a sense, part of Odin is constantly in the origin of language, or is in the 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 world of letters and the world of language. He's, and I don't know, maybe, I could be overthinking this, but I think it's kind of <laughs> saying that he's always in two worlds. He's in the "Quote unquote real world where he walks around, but part of him is always in the world of ideas or the world of of language, which is kind of a completely different world. But I think he w- lives in both of those worlds simultaneously. And we also remember Odin is the god of magic, and magic very much has to do with words and letters. I mean, you have things like." Even something as simple as spell. You know, you cast a spell. But spell is, you know, it means like you spell a word. Magic is sort of the idea that you are changing the physical world by manipulating non-physical things. Or changing the physical world. Ultimately, I think, changing the physical world through language. And Odin, the god of magic, always has an eye in the world of letters, or the world of language, and I think that kind of says something about him as a god of magic as well.
1: Thoughts? Um, I'm going to say that's interesting, very thoughtful, uh, it's very much a, a thing you would come up with, but <laughs> it kind of takes away from the sacrifice in my mind if he... Remove part of himself, but it's still attached to him in a metaphysical kind of way. Mm-hmm. It, it's more important that he took away part of himself to have it forever gone.
0: Well, I think it works on. I think it works on both levels. Well,
1: okay, that's fine. I to me though, it's less of a sacrifice if he still has some sort of connection with it.
0: Mm. I see. Quite. I see what you mean, Lauren. Were you going to say something?
2: No, was just, I think that's a good point. It's less of a sacrifice if it doesn't really mean that much. I mean, he would speak still be connected to it, like you said.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. It, it still means something because it's not something he has with him at all times. Mm-hmm. Because he, he's, he still wouldn't be able to see with both eyes while he's trying to fight. Depth perception yeah. is a problem and all this other right. stuff. But he that would just mean he sacrificed depth perception but is gained... Uh, an eye into the world of ideas, which mm. he did, but that was just from drinking it. I think,
2: mm. not because I, his eye was in it.
1: Right. I think it's. Yeah. I, I think it was. It, it may be symbolically that's what it is. That's why he sacrificed his eye. That's why he has a foot in the the world of ideas now. And that's mm-hmm. why the eye was requested because it's very symbolic that way. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if it's actually that there's an eye in
0: well, right, you know and what I mean. and I mean, if we're talking about the world of ideas, can an eye really quote unquote exist there right would be something else um, uh, but yeah, I, I guess um I'll just point out it is an interesting symbolism, though, if you think oh, yes. about it that way. He has given up his no- he's given up part of his sight. Of the world that he lives in, but he has also gained a different type of sight because yes. now he sees things in a linguistic, a linguistic manner, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, yeah. And and I do think it's very interesting when you think about exactly what language does and what language creates. This is kind of hard to explain. Um, okay, we obviously live in a world, and and well, it's not actually obvious, but it seems <laughs> as though we live in a world, and we're surrounded by objects, and you're like, oh, that's a chair, because it's got four legs. But it's not really quite that simple. It's a... It's an object, sure. It's an object with four legs, But it's a chair because we call it a chair. Language gives us the ability to cut up the world in a certain way and add labels to certain things. I don't think we would be living in the same world if we didn't have language. I don't think we'd think about the world in the same way if we didn't have language. And um, ultimately, I don't really think we'd be people... I mean, we'd be human, we'd have the same genetics, but we wouldn't be people like we are now if we didn't have language. I think language is one of the fundamental things that the gods have given us and Odin has given us that do differentiate us from all other life on Earth. You know, it talks about the have all where, where uh, Odin, well, Odin, Hodr, and Loder actually basically it can be taken as that's kind of when they're giving us our soul and you know what is soul and everything that that would be a whole different podcast but mm-hmm. I think a big part of it is that Odin took the runes out of the well and gave us the runes and By letting us have language, it let us peer into the world of ideas. And that is a big part of where our soul comes from. The fact that we don't just live in the physical earth. We have a dual existence. We live in the physical earth, but we also live in the world of ideas where chairs are just words. And we take this world of ideas and we spread it over or overlay the real world with it. And all of a sudden, a chair isn't just a lump, it's a chair now. And we know that a chair and the floor are different things because we've called them different things. And it truly defines our world. It creates our world.
1: I wanted to add something because okay. it, it just came to my mind. Uh, your your thought process of, you know, putting his eye in the well. Uh-huh led me to think of something else and I think we've talked about this before obviously not recorded though Mm. um, where he sacrificed an eye to the world of language whereas I have sacrificed part of my eyesight to the world of language by reading so much and it kind of makes a certain type of sense when you delve deeply into uh, learning Mm. and one way to learn of course is to delve into reading that your eyesight can become poor over time if you read too much Mm -hmm. i'm not sure i'm not saying that that's exactly what happened i'm just saying it's an interesting parallel
0: well i know um nietzsche frederick nietzsche just happens to be a philosopher i like he his doctor told him to stop reading because it was Mm -hmm. so detrimental to his eyesight but he didn't he just and he read a phenomenal amount and he just kept reading and reading and reading and and it is an interesting parallel you know is it on purpose maybe maybe not nonetheless I think it's an interesting parallel but we do start to lose our own sight as we obtain more and more knowledge and knowledge in the specific way of obtaining
1: knowledge through words Which and the fact that we didn't sacrifice he didn't sacrifice his tongue which right. would be language he sacrificed an eye Yeah, the consuming of language
0: I think that's important. It's a it's a very important type of language. It is the it's not the verbal language. It's the written language, which mm-hmm. I do think is significant. Um, to touch on something I said earlier, I also think it's significant that. In the beginning of the world, which we'll, we really need to do a podcast about that. <laughs> <laughs> but for now, the world began with um, Musfelheim and Nifelheim. The world of fire and the world of ice came together. Where they came together, Abdullah was born. And and in the same time, Ymir, the first giant, came to feed off of Abdullah. And she licked um, boar, the first God out of the ice, and then Bor married, or Bor gave birth to Buri, who married Beslon gave birth to Odin, and then they killed Ymir, and turned Ymir's body into the earth that we live on now. But what I'm getting at is, Odin was one of the ones that was most central in creating the earth, and he created it from Ymir's body, but I think part of what that's saying is he's taking something primordial, um, the earth, and he's making it something new and it could be by labeling things when he labels mm. trees, trees they become trees when he labels rocks, rocks they become rocks he takes something rough, violent and primordial and he turns it into the world we live in today through language
1: or I can see it like this you, the world that they lived in was a giant to them mm. Yeah. and instead they've named it now the world, the earth mm. you know and now it is no longer that scary giant. It is it is the place where you grow and you you tend fields and and continue.
0: Yeah, actually, I like that. That's that's an interesting way to take it. Um, we're about to move on to the next topic. <laughs> uh, Lauren, did you have anything to say on this? No. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, the next thing I kind of want to touch on after this is the idea of knowledge. We've already mentioned how important knowledge is to Odin with the sacrificing of his eye and the getting of and, and the attainment of knowledge and everything. There's another story I like, and I suppose this underpins just how, how important knowledge was to him... I'm not. I'm trying to think of the right words. It wasn't just how important knowledge was to him; it was partly that, partly how much he could rely on knowledge, and how Hmm. much he had confidence in his own knowledge. And 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 this is also in the poetic eddas, I believe. It's one of the stories. Basically, what happens is. Odin goes to Jotunheim, the land of the giants, and there's this giant who is supposed to be the wisest of all giants. And he challenges this giant to a lore contest with rather dire consequences. He says, whoever wins this lore challenge, the, w- the other one will cut their head off. So he's putting his knowledge to the test because if he loses, you know, he'll die. And, you know, back then, perhaps more than now, if someone promised to let you do something and took that oath, it was very significant. So if you said, if you outsmart me, I let you cut my head off, it really meant if they outsmarted you, they would really cut your head off. <laughs> so, I mean, we have we have to remember that the was... The stakes
2: were high. <laughs> the stakes
0: were high, yeah. That was the custom that you're that your word really did matter. You couldn't just run away, and it's even more important for for something like gods. So he challenges this giant, and they go back and forth. The giant asks him lore questions, and then Odin answers correctly. Then he, Odin asks the giant lore questions, and he answers correctly until finally. And I just, I just thought this kind of emphasized the cleverness of Odin, and uh, which is why I like the story so much. What he ultimately asked was, um, Odin, who was of course going by a fake name, said, "What did the father of the gods whisper into his son's ear on his funeral pyre?" Mm-hmm. And we come across in in the the eddas that that it said no one knows that Odin whispers something to Balder when he dies, and it's it's supposed to be a secret that no one else knows so of course the giant couldn't answer and then the giant figured out you know it was Odin and he's like oh you're Odin aren't you and he's like yep and cut off his head (laughs) Um, (laughs) I like that story Um, Lauren what are your thoughts on that story
2: well it almost seems like a bit of trickery because it's something that only Odin could possibly know so but it's clever it is clever, and it it does show that even some of the smartest within the world still don't know as much as Odin does, that Odin's far more traversed and far more um, educated than anybody that he's ever challenged.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think
0: so. Um,
1: Lord, did you have something to add? I think it also shows that... Uh when you have a contest, of course, you want to know your enemy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Otherwise, you could wind up like the giant right. who uh, uh, pompously assumed he knew everything already. Mm-hmm. Also, always be prepared in such a way where, if your trump card is you are you, mm. you know.
2: Well, and it, Odin uses this a lot because there yes. are other stories. There are other stories where people think that there's. They think that they're unchallenged, or they think that they're superior to their challenger, and then in in the end, it ends up being Odin. So
0: there's there's almost another lesson in there, isn't there? That right. um, not only do you need to be wise, but. It is sometimes unwise to brag about just how wise you are. Because you don't right. really see Odin walking around and being like, Oh, I'm smarter than everyone. But this particular mm. Well, you can never know the person that
2: you're being challenged by.
0: Well exactly. Right. Because Odin does go by false na- or he does go by pseudonyms. He's he's got so many names. And um like this particular giant was very pompous. He was like, I'm I know more than anybody anywhere. And there's sort of a thing with knowledge you have to be able to use it cleverly to get what you want, but also you shouldn't just, you know, go around bragging about how smart you are because in Odin's case, he could have gone in with pomp and circumstance and say, "I'm Odin, the smartest guy in the world." But he didn't, and that's that's part of why it was so clever. He ended up getting what he wanted. He ended up winning this contest because he went in and he went in as the underdog
1: um, right. it's it, it's like two things to me this story says the one is don't show your hand you know
0: yes. never,
1: never let anyone know everything about you because how can you win if all your tricks are out
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the second is somebody always is better than you at something
2: mm-hmm. yeah. and
1: you must be prepared for that yeah. and of course the giant was not
0: yeah and ultimately he lost his head over it so mm-hmm. and I mean that is what happened Odin cut off his head so yeah I think that that's interesting um, sort of naturally moving from there I want to talk about the Havamal for a minute which means the sayings of Har and Har is another name for Odin um, so the Havamal really if you read it ugh, it's multiple things on multiple levels but the most, at least one level of it, and a relatively obvious level of it, is its um, its words of wisdom for travelers. I, I think it's even called that in some places. It's basically Odin giving pieces of advice to how you should live your life, the things that you can get away with, the things that you can't get away with. One thing he says, for example, is and I, I don't have to have them all in front of me so I can't quote it, but he says something to the extent of a dull wit will work at home, but if you're traveling, you need to be more wise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're just some guy at home, then you can get away with being kind of dumb, but if, if you're traveling, you need a lot more wisdom. Uh, another one I really liked is the, the heron of unmindfulness flutters over every ale feast. Mm, You have the idea that Odin, who's the god of mead, so obviously he drinks mead, understands that to drink um, mead in his case, but to drink is fine, but to go to an ale fest where everyone's just getting drunk is foolish. And there's a particular story I really liked where there are these two, um, I think it's the Heimskringla, there are these two brothers, and, and they wanted to... They wanted to take over Sweden from somebody. It could have been Harold Harefair. Uh, and basically, they're like... They were drinking. They knew they couldn't take him. But they were drinking. They're like, no, we need to, we need to take over Sweden. Let's, let's challenge that big guy who rules it now. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. And they ended up, in their drunkenness, swearing an oath on it. And, of course, oaths are sacred, so they mm-hmm. had no choice but to actually... Attempt. attempt to take over Sweden and, and they were cr- they were destroyed both of them died in that battle because they made unwise decisions because they were getting drunk and boasting that's one of the warnings and I think a very important warning uh, that's in there, just you have to be careful when you're traveling um, and now the have itself again I might do a whole podcast on that eventually because mm. there's a lot of pieces of wisdom in there I'm just gonna do one more that I like. It says Um, even the cattle know when they've had their fill and it's time to come back to the barn but mm-hmm. th- the the gluttonous man eats even when his stomach is full, or something about that um, I like there that. are a
2: lot of um, making fun of fat people. a lot of control
0: no that's a lot
2: of it's about self control the mo mul- mm-hmm. It is. A lot of it in there is about self-control, like even with the drinking, with the food, with worrying, with, um, there's even a a portion in there about only being middle wise, that being
0: too wise is a problem. Mm -hmm. So, and...
1: So we actua- you outsmart yourself
0: we'll, we'll actually tackle that in a minute and I don't know exactly what that means I have some ideas though but yeah I think there's all sorts of good idea and some of it is spiritual and on some levels it's spiritual but a lot of it's literally just practical ha- advice Yeah. that you should follow and your life will be a little more you, you know you might live a little longer <laughs> well it might be a little bit more enjoyable or something
1: well less likely to rub the other people wrongly
0: yeah yeah and you know it depends on where you're going it, you know it it always says when you're in when you're in an unknown in, in an unknown area keep your weapons at your side and mm-hmm. you know your weapons aren't necessarily I mean they, they are your shield and your sword, or nowadays guns I guess, literally, but your weapons are also your mind. And there's another one where it says something like the best the, the weapon that will serve a man best is a sharp wit. And mm. if you're walking around the bad part of town just, you know laughing and making fun of scary looking people, you're very likely going to get yourself killed. Or if you're walking around the bad part of town at night, you might get mugged. Something worse might happen. You could get murdered or or whatever. I mean, you have to be intelligent. Even today, even though the world is safer in many ways than it used to be, it's still a dangerous place and you still need to be intelligent. You still need to be clever or you could get yourself into a dangerous situation. Even a life-threatening one. So, um did we have any other thoughts on the Havamaw before I move on?
1: no nope. but it's okay. it's a good thing to read. It's it's mm-hmm. one of the easier things to read too.
0: Yeah, that's actually a good point. I mean it's relevant even today. It's all relevant today, but sometimes spiritual matters can get really complicated and lore and myth can be hard to untangle. Whereas the Havamaw, at least on its surface, has uh something that that really has practical advice. So I think it is good for anybody to read. Now, we mentioned um, Lorne, you had said every man should be Mm middle-wise. The next thing I wanted to go over is when Odin learns his fate, it's said that he never smiles again. So we get back to the price of knowledge. Um, What that means is interesting. See the thing is Odin rays raises a Cirrus to understand what will happen at the end of the world. And he sees when he himself will die and it's you know after that it's said that he never smiles again. So I think it's really really something interesting. You know, people always say, Oh, I want to know the future. I want to know what my future holds but do we really... Do we want to know the day and circumstances of our death?
1: No, we want to control our future. We don't want to know our future. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think that's exactly that. Because knowing your future kind of sets it in stone. Yes. You're out of, or completely out of control, yeah. Exactly. You lose control by knowing.
0: Yeah. and And I think that would be rather unpleasant to actually know when you're when you're going to die. Um, well, and it's not like yeah. he
2: just grew old and died peacefully in his bed either. He saw the destruction of the world and everything mm-hmm. that he cared about right. <laughs> as his future. So, it, I mean, it's kind of a rotten future to see.
0: Well, I think there's some good parts to the future, too, um... The rebirth of the world, and yeah, think, and yeah. we'll get into that a little bit later in the podcast deeper, but I do think the rebirth of the world is ultimately a good thing, nonetheless, knowing your own death is very sobering, I think it would, sure. it would make you take life um very seriously and and yeah, so yeah you know, it's not necessary it's not necessarily something that we want to know when we're gonna die, so. Um, I'm going to move on from knowledge to death, but before I did, was there anything else we wanted to mention about um Odin and knowledge? Anything we've talked to up to this point,
1: Lauren? No. Oh, you're good? Uh Lore? I believe it is completed.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay, the next one is going to be death. Uh there's a lot to say about death. Death is obviously something that interests interests everybody because we're all going to die. So, Odin is among other things one of his absolute primary roles, yeah, I think his major role is knowledge but one of his other primary roles is um, war. He's a god of war. You know, he has Valhalla. He is a patron god of warriors. Now, I mean, we have Tyr who's also a god of war. Um, Thor is a god of war to an extent as well Um, so is Freya so you know we kind of there's kind of a lot of gods of war I suppose Um, but Odin is definitely one of the main gods of war so I guess war and death are not exactly the same obviously but they are connected war does lead to death Uh, so I guess I'm going to just start talking about the wild hunt and oh no, I don't know. Yeah, no, I will. I'll start by talking about the Wild Hunt, which is when Odin is said to go over over the world with a host of the dead, and he hunts a sacred boar. Uh, and Fraholda is usually depicted as accompanying him on this uh, this trip. And, you know, there'll be the wandering souls who haven't moved on throughout the year. And it it happens in early wintertime, and the Wild Hunt will pick up and uh, take all those souls to the afterlife. So, we can kind of see that Odin has a lot to do with death. Um, What else do we want to say about that?
1: Well, uh, what comes with the Wild Hunt are the the dogs that follow with, or the the wolves. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was in the mythos or in the in the mindset of the people at the time that uh, your soul would not be released from your body until all your meat was from your bones. So the the animals that would eat the flesh was actually helping people be freed from their their physical forms. Oh, see, the, and that's huh. that's part of the wild hunt. I like
0: that. That's very interesting. Obviously, very something we don't agree with so much today since we're sealed up in little cement boxes. Wow. And <laughs> we turn into soap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, honestly though it's interesting we if we have a soul, which I believe we do, which resides in the world of ideals or the world of ideas we also have a body which our soul is intricately connected to. Our soul's part of our body, and our body's part of our souls—at least <laughs> for a time. You, it would make sense that it'd be easier to move on if you didn't have a body lying around, sort of reminding you of your physical life and everything. And you know, but there, there's something different. I mean, that's sort of me just doing some wild speculation on the fly. <laughs> What's more important is we die, and then. We go into the ground and we decompose and we let something else live. You know, we are. This isn't the only rebirth that exists, but in a sense, our bodies are reborn. You know, we were living things, we're buried in the ground. We let trees grow, we let plants grow, we feed the wolves, we feed the ravens. Our flesh is absorbed by them, and to an extent, we are reborn by them. I don't understand why we have to be put in stupid like sealed cement casks so we can never touch the earth again.
1: Well that would be a Christian mentality. Well yeah. I think it's dumb. I want wolves to eat me. Well that's fine. <laughs> I want to eat me. Well and do you want to do you wanna They have some
2: them? natural cemeteries now? Oh really uh, Sweden
1: <laughs> Sweden is all natural cemeteries. Well
2: I can't afford to move there. I know but in America they have some too now.
1: Oh do they I like I like cremation because it's done and over with Yeah,
2: quickly. I like cremation too
0: Cremation's good, you know, at least you disappear um, I mean your physical I don't, you don't disappear Your physical body disappears Which would make mm-hmm. the passing on procedure easier I definitely say I will either be I would like to be either cremated Or buried in a natural cemetery I don't know which Maybe cremated um,
2: Yeah, you don't want to be a zombie You cremated.
0: <laughs> Just kidding. Well, it's true. I don't want to be. A, how do you know I don't want to be a zombie? You want to be a dragger or something? <sighs> yeah, I could be a dragger. That would be <laughs> rich. rich.
1: it's the way to go. Anyway. Anyway, sorry. but but you know <laughs>
0: that that is part of of death is the fact that you return to the earth that you came from, and I think there's something good about that, and I think that our bodies should disappear so that our souls will be freed of them. I think that's I think that's an interesting idea. I like that.
1: Right. Um, and that's to me that's what the wild hunts all about is the bodies releasing the the souls or the essence of people.
2: Right. It's an um awkward tense to organ transplant. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I've never been comfortable
1: with organ transplant
0: because of that. <laughs> um I'm not saying it's immoral. I'm I'm not saying all altruists can't donate their organs. It's fine to donate your organs. But it is interesting I mean our bodies are what housed our souls. Does part of you live on in that organ? I think it's a good question. Yes, it
1: does, but it's not a conscious one. Like, if you were to, say, transplant part of someone's brain into someone else's head, there might be an issue there. That would
0: be weird. That would probably
1: be a bad idea. Yeah, because there's some (laughs) sentience there. Right,
0: right. But yeah, you're right. Maybe it's not a conscious part of you. And the way I'd look at that is, um, I believe that, you know, we have our quote-unquote main soul, but then we also have our folk soul, which... ...is the part of us that ties us to our ancestors. And then we also have a soul that resides in our physical bodies. And that one is obviously a mortal soul. Whereas the folk soul is an immortal soul, but it's not conscious. And then the main soul, or our will, is the conscious soul that actually goes on. But, I mean, I think that in life they are drawn to one another and coexist together... And I don't know if your spirit wouldn't be held in the physical world for longer than normal if you donated an organ. I don't. I don't think I have an answer to that.
1: But I, it's there would just be an concept. essence of you. It would just be an essence. It wouldn't be anything that you would miss.
2: Quite possibly. It would, not. would it? I guess the question would be: Would it prevent you from um, moving, traveling on. to the I other? I would yeah. think so
1: because it, it's a. <laughs> Well the whole point it's is just that such separated. a little piece of you. Mm-hmm. Well, like the dogs will eat the meat from your body. Uh-huh. And that would be from your bones. Mm-hmm. But your uh-huh. bones still reside. And once your bones are resided bare, then your soul is free. Okay. So as long as your bones aren't implanted into somebody, maybe oh, that's you, the
0: problem. Maybe that okay, then maybe it'd be okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, Of I, course this is this is lore, so I yes, don't ask. Have... Yes.
0: Right. I um expect- I really don't think... You know, th- this is, again, not a reason to not donate your organs. Um, it is interesting, though, what is the interplay between our minds and our bodies, and what's the interplay between our souls and our bodies. I do think they're connected. Maybe this would be an extreme. You donate your heart so you can't leave the physical world ever. That <laughs> that would be extreme. But on the other hand, you know, definitely while we're alive, um, you know, people talk about astral projection, but that doesn't mean that your soul literally walks away from your body and you have a soulless body lying on the floor just breathing. They're still connected all through life. Our soul could, it could exist in a way, but our soul cannot separate itself from the body during our lives, there is a there is definitely a connection. The two are very difficult to tease apart, and maybe that's what they meant by your bones being torn from your body. It takes a while for the soul to transition from mm-hmm. life to death. So, oh, Anyway, <laughs> I suppose we should. I suppose we should move on. Um, Valhalla, of course. Again has to do with Odin because that's Odin's hall, and the the story is at every battle the strongest of the warriors are picked by the Valkyries, and the best of the best of the and they're divided in half, and the best half goes to Volkkswagenng which is Freya's Hall, and the other half goes to Valhalla but I, I don't like saying that because it makes it sound like Valhalla's second it's best. Yeah. And, and that's not exactly what it is. It's all the best of the best warriors. Freya has first pick, is what it is. Th- th- you know, th- does that mean best or not? You know, who knows? But she has first pick. Maybe she's after a different type of warrior. And then uh, the rest go to Valhalla, which, where they're said to fight every day, and and you know they don't die, and they feast every night. And in the end of the world, you know, ultimately all of this is just training for the end of the world, which is Ragnarok. So what's your thoughts about Valhalla?
1: Anyone? <laughs> like, would, would we enjoy such a place? Oh, is that what you're saying? What's or? your question? <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: actually, we should start there. Um, I would obviously have the... Uh, going to Valhalla is a huge honor. And I would have yeah. more respect for someone who went to Valhalla than than anybody else. But it is a certain type of place which would not necessarily be the place I would want to go in the afterlife.
1: Well, I think at first it would be fun for a while because it's, I find it amusing and interesting to hone my skills. Yeah. And we get to feast and party every night and that's awesome too, Mm -hmm. but eventually I would grow tired of it. I need something more mental uh, over time. Well, yeah, that's hard to say. Um... But that's just my perspective of what the stories tell me and how right. I would perceive and interpret what they're saying. Perhaps it's it's more than that. What um, is What happens during the feast? Is it just a crazy party every night, or
0: is there a challenging of wits? I mean, if you think, Odin's the leader of it, right? Right. He's not just going to sit around and be like, yeah, drink up, guys. He's probably going to give some little riddles now and then. It it may <laughs> so be... Some of the greatest wars were won because of the brilliant strategy,
1: not necessarily right. the, the greatest force or the Right. So right. I would think that I,
0: feasting would be a very intellectually stimulating time.
1: Well, I, I would like to think a philosopher warrior would be fun. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. yes. <laughs> but the mentality of the stories as they're handed down to us lead me to believe it's more of a physical struggle than Uh, it is a mental struggle.
0: Yeah, it's hard to say. Um, And, of course, when those stories were written, the physical part of struggle in many ways was more emphasized. To me, I've always thought that the daytime really was more of a physical struggle. Um, Mm. I definitely agree with that. But I figured since it's the hall of the god of knowledge, the nighttime would be intellectually stimulating for the ones who wanted intellectual stimulation. Of course, I don't know. Um, (laughs) Obviously, these things we can only speculate upon. But I do think that the point of what is Valhalla for, why are these people fighting every day in Valhalla? It's to prepare for Ragnarok, which is our last topic, which we'll get into momentarily. But I don't think Ragnarok... You know, obviously, if you're in the afterlife, it's not a physical anything that you're doing. I think the physical fighting is a representation of the battle of will and determination and just brute force to to do something, to make something happen, to, to win. You know, what happens when non-physical entities fight? Um, since we're not non-physical entities, it's really hard to tell, but I think it boils down to mostly... A force of will and determination so I think that's very much part of what's going on in Valhalla Any, anyway um, what's, what's really important about it I mean the speculation aside is these people are the elite force so to speak they're the ones who have really taken on a lot of extra responsibility to make sure Ragnarok goes the way that it's supposed to go and i suppose that's that's the most important thing about valhalla that these people have sacrificed to an extent this their afterlife to make sure that ragnarok goes the way it should go and the right side wins um of course i i think that the people in valhalla and odin himself you know when they die in the battle i don't think that they cease to exist i think you know they continue Um, their will goes on and their soul goes on, but where it goes, I don't know, and I'm more concerned about the current cycle, so I think it's sort of futile to worry about that now. But, you know, they have. They've given up one afterlife just training for Ragnarok, and I, I think that's a good sacrifice to be... You know, just that our people would want to do that. Our people would want to sacrifice an entire afterlife just to... Give a new world to their descendants is a very uplifting thought. I think. Good point. Anyway, um, I mentioned here that the dogs don't bark at Odin. This kind of harkens again to the fact that he can be a a grim god, a scary god, if you will, uh, a terrifying one, and one that even one that even um, well see now I've lost my train of thought. But but the idea that he is uh, such a grim, dark god that, you know, even animals wouldn't bark at him. I did want to mention real quick, because this is part of the death section, that Odin did on one time uh perform sade magic, which is magic working with the which is magic that involves working with the dead, which normally is only done by women, so it was sort of a forbidden art that he did. You know, most of the magic he did was rune magic, which you know was very masculine magic in many ways. Um, men performed it all the time, but sage magic was something that was normally just done by women. But Odin actually did it because, again, he wants to understand everything. He wants to understand and have knowledge of everything, and especially of death. So he did something very unusual um, to get that. Okay, any thoughts before we move on to our final topic? Nope. Okay, let's move on. Uh, the, the last one I wanted to mention was um, I guess preparation for Ragnarok. And what I mean by preparation for Ragnarok is uh Let's see. Ragnarok's the end of the world, and, of course, this isn't the Valsipa as well, and it's definitely something that we should mention, but Ragnarok's the end of the world, and what we have to remember about the end of the world is the world doesn't just end and then we're all dead or we've all disappeared or something like that. When the world ends, it is so a new Earth can be reborn kind of like if you have a forest eventually you need a forest fire to burn out the dead wood. So what what happens in the end of the world is the old world that we live in is burned and it, it says that the world will be burned um, even by sir you know m- many of the gods die most of humanity dies but two people Leif and lefarison, are hidden in the world tree and then the whole earth sinks into the ocean, but then it raises back out of the ocean and it's reborn, and most of the giants are also dead. Leif and Lafarison come out, they repopulate the earth Baldr comes back from hell Odin's son, Baldr comes from hell, he's the light of beauty and and, and um, light and the sun, and also he's a god of rebirth, because sun gods are gods of rebirth. So the world is reborn when he returns. Um... Uh, So, yeah, uh, before I go further, um, Lauren or Lord, did you have something to say on the whole idea of Ragnarok and Rebirth? (laughs) No, I'm good. Okay. Uh, I felt like it was a little rambly there, but basically, the thing is the world... Odin is not trying to prevent the end of the world. I think this is something hard for people to understand, because I know I had a lot of trouble with it. I was like, Odin, this fear, fear, fearless god, you know, he, he throws his eye in the well just because he wants to learn more, and then all of a sudden he's scared that the world's going to end and he's doing everything he can to stop it. Because he's, you know, he's a god who's faced death, yet he's so terrified of death, he's spending his entire existence trying to st- trying to stop Ragnarok because he'll die in it. Um, he's eaten by the fairness wolf, and then his son avenges him. Bali uh, kills the wolf. Anyway, and I'm like, I just don't get it. Why is such a fearless god who's seen death and deals with death afraid of the end of the world? And the thing is, he's not. This is what I finally realized. He's not afraid of the... W- end of the world. The thing is, just like a forest fire, you don't want to burn a forest down when it's in mid-growth, when it's perfectly green and nice, or you've just, you're just destroying for the sake of destruction. Sure, it needs to be destroyed, but not until there's so much dead wood and dead growth that it's cutting off the rest of the forest. It's the same thing with the earth. The earth isn't ready to be reborn yet. Odin does want the world to end when it's time. He knows that at a certain point in time the world will need to be cleansed by fire and reborn, rise again from the ocean, and it goes through this cycle endlessly, but it's not time yet. It's not ready for the earth to die, and what Odin's doing is you know, gathering his forces, getting ready for the end of the world, so when the end of the world does come, he can he can when the end of the wor- when it when the world is ready to end i mean he'll have everything in place so it can end in the way it's supposed to end and it will be reborn because if we lose this final battle it the cycle of the universe the nature of the universe is cyclical the world would still be reborn but there may be eons of stagnation when nothing happens before it is reborn that's why we have to end the world in the right way. We have to, the gods have to defeat the ice giants, and um, the Einherjar from Valhalla have to destroy the hordes that come from hell. They have to do that, because then the world will, everything will cancel quote-unquote good and evil. I don't believe in good and evil, but the opposite sides of everything—stagnation and chaos—come together, just like in the beginning of the world. Remember, there's the world of fire, the world of ice, the world of stagnation, the world of chaos. Those came together to create life. It's the same thing in the end of the world. The opposing forces come together and cancel each other out in this energetic explosion of fire and o- of fire and ice and 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 light and rebirth and the world is reborn then and you know that's what needs to happen the world needs to be reborn and not sit around in in stagnation all the time so that's what odin's doing he's preparing for ragnarok not cuz he's he's not avoiding ragnarok he's preparing for ragnarok because it is something that must happen and and yeah so he's preparing for it. it. It's a good thing. He's not scared of it. So, mm-hmm. um, did you guys have something to mention about that?
2: I just had one um, technicality in the end of Ragnarok. It's not volley that saves Odin. It's Bitter. And oh, I'm sorry. There's, bitter. There's this one story, now because it's one of the coolest stories there. I remember somebody brought it up to another kindred that we used to go to, that it's his shoe in the mouth of the wolf that's a pi- pinnacle part of how he kills the wolf And so there's this story that The pieces of um, The waste pieces of our shoes Of people's shoes are um, Somehow Supposed to be part of making up the big shoe That helps the vidder at the end of Ragnarok, like the leather yeah. pieces of your
0: shoe. so The leather trimmings of the shoe all yeah. go into the shoe that he wears. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I like that story. Thank you for bringing that up. Because what mm-hmm. he does is he puts um, one foot on the bottom of the jaw of the wolf, and that's the foot with the shoe you were just talking about. And mm-hmm. then he, like, rips its jaw off mm-hmm. um, by going up. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm bad with names. There's Volley well, and Ve and Vey and Vitter and they just I get confused. I get a bunch confused.
2: of vowels and consonants next to each other. Yes yeah.
0: I know they should all start with <laughs> the. sorry about that I, I shouldn't make those mistakes but unfortunately I still do. Anyway um, uh, did you have anything else Lauren?
2: Um, no I don't believe so.
0: And Lord did you have anything to add about that? Nope I'm good. Okay, so, and I don't know, I just I just wanted to bring that up, that really, Ragnarok is, in many ways, a good thing. It is the rebirth of the Earth, and it's something that should happen, but not until it's time. Um, I'm not going to get into formula. I will mention it briefly, I suppose. Um... something that's interesting to do. Maybe I'll just leave this as an experiment for people to do if they're if they're bored someday cuz if it was intentional or not, it's really irrelevant, but it can make you see things in a different way. For example, if you just take Odin's name, it's composed of you know four letters. Each of those letters correspond to a different rune. And um Odin has many names. And I think the name Odin is really makes a lot of sense with Ragnarok. But if you look at what those, those runes that make up the m- name mean, it's kind of interesting what comes out of that. And I just thought I'd mention it because Odin is a god of knowledge and he's also a god of runes. But it's interesting to take uh, his name and interpret it as if you were interpreting runes. And again, not so much that you know, maybe maybe it was done on purpose, that makes sense, but it's an interesting technique to sort of look at things a different way, because words are made up of letters, and with the runes, each letter has a meaning, and it's sort of interesting to say, well, what would this word mean if I took its letter apart, or if I took it apart by its letter and interpret it as runes? I think I think that's kind of interesting to do with Odin, because he is a language god, and if nothing else, it's a way to make you think in a novel manner. It's a way to throw ideas together in a novel manner. So I just thought I'd kind of throw that out as something you guys can experiment with at home if you're bored one day. <laughs> yes. Um, Let's see. I think this pretty much wraps it up... As far as I know, I there's so much to talk about Odin. Certainly, I've missed something. I mean, we didn't get into the beginning of the world. We didn't get into everything about the Havamal. But I think these are some of the most important things about Odin. Uh, as a recap, you've got the idea that he's <coughs> a language god with the runes. You've got the idea of knowledge and how important knowledge is. You've got the idea that he's connected... With death and, and the afterlife, you've got the idea that he's a war god. He has the ravens and the wolves, you know, symbols of war. And also, especially the raven, symbol of intelligence and cleverness. And then you've got this whole idea of fate and and how Ragnarok is fated to happen. And, you know, that's not a good thing and that's not a bad thing. It's just the nature of the world, but there's better ways for it to go in worse ways and Odin making sure that Ragnarok happens the right way. Um, and he's also a god of poetry. You know, I didn't even get into that, unfortunately. Um, and I think he's a very, a very special type of of poetry, poetry is a way we can explore ourselves. You know, when you think of poetry as celebrating your ancestors, you really, you really kind of think of braggy. Like when you think of mead as a way to celebrate your ancestors, you think of braggy. But Odin is a god of of um, poetry and mead as well. But it's a uh, uh, maybe darker, maybe introspective would be a better word. Mm-hmm. A way to look at yourself in a in a more revealing light to understand yourself in a solitary manner. You know, Odin is is grim, he's serious, not to say he has no sense of humor, but in many ways he's grim, he's serious, he's introspective, and, and that's another thing that poetry can do. So I don't want to, I mean, he he brought the poetry of, the meat of poetry to the gods, and it's because of him that you know, the the meats spilled out of his mouth, and the people it hit on on Earth, or Asgard, became poets. It's because of him we have poets. Odin's just a very complex god. I mean, language, knowledge, death, runes, fate, Ragnarok, poetry, all of these things wrapped up into a god. I mean, he definitely deserves uh, significantly more study than we've given him just today, unfortunately our time is running short and we have to wrap up but he's just a very interesting god and a very complex one who who could just take a lifetime of studying just to begin to understand um, so I guess that's my final thoughts on Odin uh, Lore, did you have any final thoughts? Um,
1: only a slight thought back on the point of war Mm-hmm which is, war could just be conflict, and that's probably why each, not each, but a lot of the gods and goddesses have a warrior-type class with them, because they're dealing with a conflict in their particular vein. That's yeah. that's all I really wanted mm. to say. I think that's really...
0: That's good. That's interesting. I mean... Not to throw throw out the idea of war in today's world. We, we right. do, unfortunately, still have wars, um, and part of it is you need to protect the people that are close to you, when that means even giving your life, but I do think, you know, another ass. Uh, it wouldn't be war, but the conflict thing is interesting. Will wars of the future be wars of business, like we both have a good product that we're trying to sell? Um, mm mm-hmm. To to imagine a future that instead of having physical wars with bombs and people dying, you had wars with, you know, the stock market and selling products. <laughs> I mean, that's not necessarily bad. And it's still, you still have people excel in that kind of war, too. Um... You know, just like in classic war, you have acts of people excelling in bravery. You can have the same thing in other ki- kinds of war, too. Um, again, not to discount the bravery and everything else that comes from current wars, but war is, on the most primordial level, it is a conflict between two opposing sides. It's not necessarily, you know, it's it's not just about people dying it's also about a conflict and a competition which I think is very healthy and very important I mean in things like the free market we need healthy competition so that, that's interesting I'm glad you brought that up mm-hmm. and Lauren did you have any closing thoughts no <laughs> nothing at all I thought you'd throw something in there.
2: Okay, no, that's fine. I mean, it's Odin. He's cool and stuff.
0: <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay.
2: No, that works. I mean, there's just so much, and we went off on so many little tangents, it's hard to even give it credit. But, I mean, Odin, he's the All-Father. Um, he's like the... If if you were going to, and some parts of Asatru do, they almost call themselves Odinists rather than Asatru, Um he would be the head god he would be the chief the chieftain he's um i mean he knows everything and he's the oh he's laying out our future so yeah,
0: yeah. well i'm i am glad you brought that up about he is the all-father i mean he's called the all-father you know he was he was the son of Buri, um odin ville and vey were and odin is the one who has kind of gone on to rule the world. He's the father of uh, Baldur, he's the father of Thor, he's the father of many gods. And he is the leader, and that's one thing I've always, he is the leader, and that's one thing I've always really liked about Ossetro. You know, in, in every, since I'm polytheistic, and, and I agree with polytheism, you know, these are different gods, and most groups will have a leader, and And also true, the gods have chosen Odin as as their leader. And I love it because the All-Father, the leader of the gods, is a god who is more than anything else concerned with knowledge. And I find that uplifting. You know, it's not just a god of war, it's not a god of, of... jealousy or, or 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 even a god of some of the other more positive things, wealth or something along those lines. You know, every pantheon will put emphasis on something else but I really think that Ossetru puts a lot of emphasis on intelligence and wisdom because it's shown because their all-father, their head god is a god of wisdom, a god of language, a god of magic. And that's one of those things that really drew me to be also true. I mean, of course, the ancestor thing is the big one. That's that's why I'm also true. But I think it resides well. Or that's not. I, I I I can't remember the word I'm looking for, but it resounds with me that the father of the gods is a god of. Of wisdom, so I've just always really liked that about Asatrú that that the father of the gods is a god of wisdom. Okay, I, I think that is everything. Um, lots more to learn about Odin, of course. Uh, definitely research him a lot on your on your own because. He's such a complex God, we really have just touched the surface here. So, I want to thank everybody out there for listening. And I know we covered a lot. If you had any questions or ideas for future shows, please give us an email at hugenhoffpodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to visit our website, where you can download the podcast, subscribe via rss, or look at the show notes, just go ahead and go to www.hugenhoff.org and click on the podcast section. I also want to take a note to again thank my co host Lore and Lauren. Thank you both for being on. I really enjoy having co-hosts because otherwise I just ramble the whole time. So, thank you both for being on and thank you everyone for listening. And we will see you next month. Fra Hale! For